This is the Claycomo Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, and today is Palm Sunday, April the 10th, 2022. Pastor Scott Gordon continues his look into healthy habits with several weeks of discussing the cross. This week, Palm Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. And now we send it to Pastor Scott. We're going to continue that as we open God's Word together. I'm going to spend a a couple of Sundays, Palm Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, focused on this aspect of the cross, fitting that we would be singing about that. And all of these aspects that relate to our worship today, our worship Thursday night at 6.30 for our Easter Thursday service, as well as Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, this coming week. It's hard to believe Easter is already here. It has just kind of been one of those times where you go turn around and it was just January 1st, yesterday. I mean, it is in that way. I invite you to open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and then we're going to be going through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, not every chapter and every verse, but we're going to hit some aspects because I want us to look, and just truth in advertising, as I was getting ready this week, I may need somebody's help, and just if you can help me after the service in in some way, uh, because as I thought of the title for this series, I was reminded of a movie and a scene from a movie. I just can't remember the movie. You hate it when that happens? Uh, I'm there, and, and I can picture the scene as clear as yesterday, and it's been probably decades since I've seen whatever movie this is. Um, and there, there's a group of people sitting at, at a bingo hall. Now, if anybody's been to a bingo hall, go ahead and confess your sins now. But they're sitting there and everything, and they call out, you know, the, the letters and numbers and all of a sudden, and, and suddenly it comes to this one, and they call out, before, and the entire crowd says, and after. And I, it, that has stuck with me. I don't remember what the movie is. But that, as I came through and thinking about the cross, I want us to look this Sunday about the time of Jesus with his disciples before the cross. And then next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, I want us to look at Jesus' time with his disciples after the cross. You say, we're not going to talk about the cross Thursday night. So I encourage you, even through this week, to be thinking about this Passion Week opportunity that we have to look at all that Jesus has done. Because I am convinced that there is no other event in history that galvanizes a conversation like the cross of Jesus. You start talking about that, and even if somebody says, I'm indifferent towards that, everybody's got an opinion about the cross. It's either irrelevant, it's a myth, it's, it's this, or it means a little bit, it's a great example for us, or it is the pinnacle event of all of human history, of creation, from the point of all that God has done to all that He is still going to do. The cross is the laser focus of the goodness and the greatness of God. His love, His holiness, His standard of righteousness, and His forgiving and motivating grace. 
I could preach before preaching, then preach, and then preach again. This is it. This is what the Christian life, this is what coming to faith in Christ, this is what trusting what God has said is all about. Before Jesus went to the cross, he spoke plainly about it. Now, at times, as we looked even this morning in, in our Sunday school class, at times he spoke in ways that made his disciples go, huh? I'm not sure what you're talking about. Behold, I am with you, but then I am, you will, and now you see me, and then you won't see me, and then you will see me again And in John. And, and his disciples go, huh? And they don't want to say anything. And Jesus goes, are you asking yourself what I'm talking about? And he continues to share with them. But there are three occasions, and each of the first three gospel writers show that Jesus very plainly spoke about the cross to his disciples. And I want us to look at that today. And the question is, you might say, or maybe you would be provoked to ask, why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus speak so plainly? What would motivate him to do that? And even if you hadn't thought of that question, I wanted to put that before you. Why? Well, I'm glad that you asked because there's a very clear answer for us right here in John chapter 15. I know I didn't have you turn there. Had you turn to Matthew 16, hang there because we're going to go Matthew, Mark, Luke in a minute. But I wanted to start us off with John. Why would Jesus want to speak to his disciples plainly about the cross, about the resurrection, these aspects of the pinnacle moment of the good news of the gospel? It's because of this very reason. John chapter 15 verse 13 begins, No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything. Everything I have heard from my father. That's it. He has made it clear. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we look, Jesus, at what you shared with your disciples back in your time with them, encourage us today with the very truth that we find revealed in that moment that still should stir our hearts, encourage, and even challenge us today for the glory of your name. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. Amen. Well, let's look, first of all, at the first prediction that Jesus gives that we see recorded in, these are called the synoptic gospels. It means they have a, a, a singular or a similar point of view. In fact, if you read throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke often, you will find repeated in each of these different gospels the same story. Different details added. That's why we're going to be kind of jumping from Matthew to Mark and to Luke. All three of them record all three of these predictions that Jesus made before his disciples, but each one catches another thing. And it's not that there's difference. Oh, see, there's an inconsistency. No, you put three witnesses at the scene of any event and you're going to get a similar story, but somebody else is going to catch something that somebody else didn't notice. And that's what we find for ourselves here. This very first prediction is here in Matthew chapter 16. 
as we begin then in verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Now, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And so we find this wonderful prediction. Now, where does it, where does it come from? Where does it fit within the gospel story that Matthew is telling for us here? If we find ourselves looking at that, why was Jesus motivated right here on the hills of Jesus asking this question, who do people say that I am? He's teaching his disciples. They go through a couple of examples. Jesus says, well, who do you guys say that I am? Peter steps up to the plate, hits it out of the park. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on to say, absolutely right. Now, that's the paraphrase. I'm giving you the modern paraphrase, let's move through it quickly version. But here's exactly what comes on the heels of that affirmation of Jesus being the Son of God, the Messiah. Is that he goes on in verse 21, Jesus said this prediction is that he would point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him, and he goes through itemizing what is yet to happen. It's important that we notice that Jesus says it is necessary. Necessary? That means it's got to happen. There's no scenario in which this does not, cannot happen. Why? Well, the scriptures are very plain and record for us the reason why the cross, Jesus going to die on the cross, is necessary. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, that wonderful writer reminds us in this way, says, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Otherwise, we also hear, without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for sin. Payment for sin? What kind of, what kind of, what, what, what's that about? This is my favorite section of Vacation Bible School. Every time I present the gospel to the kids who have been involved in this, I love coming to this verse because I always throw this in, and I always have, especially our kids who are here, that immediately jump on me and go, no, and it's this. I usually read Romans 3.23 this way, for all except for pastors have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I've usually got one brave kid who says, that's not what it says. And I'm like, oh, really? What do you mean? No, it says all of us have sinned. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, all of us. Pastors, teachers, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, all of us have sinned. Therefore, the cross is necessary for you and me, for every one of us. There is no payment for sin without there being a shedding of blood. There must be a sacrifice, and there must be a sacrifice equal to the offense. 
If the offense creates eternal separation from God, then a perfect, everlasting sacrifice must be given. And that is Jesus, the one and only Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world once and for all, forever done deal. Now, as much as Peter's a hero, he's just like you and me. We've got our moments. Step up, man, home run, Aaron Judge type of swing, all that stuff. Then we have the next moment, Aaron Judge type of strikeout. And here comes Peter. What was the disciples' response to what Jesus said? Peter took him aside. Can you imagine this? Peter's going, Jesus, I appreciate what you said, but. Pulls him aside. And he says this, oh no, Lord, this never happened to you with the inference that I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let anybody kill you. You're too important. And from a heart that is good, it is well-intentioned, he was missing the point. Been there, done that myself. That person, being that person who missed the point. I stopped just short because then Jesus even says, and it goes on further if you take verses 24 to 26, which won't get into all those details. But as soon as Peter says, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you, Jesus responds to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but only human concerns. You see, that's how we live sometimes. We begin and we acknowledge that there is a perfect, eternal plan from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then we begin to see the concerns that are all around us, the challenges that we face just to live each and every day. And we have our minds and our hearts drawn away from the big picture to the immediate picture, and we get out of focus sometimes. As much as that is a critique and concern, it's an admission of a reality. And here's the big deal. It was something that was brought to mind to me as I watched a, a, an online seminar going this week. And I mentioned it Wednesday night in our uh, prayer meeting and Bible study time as we're talking about evangelism and, and so forth. Is we tend to think that we've got to live the Christian life perfectly or we've got to have it understood and always get it right. And here's something we need to remind ourselves. God is not offended, nor is he surprised that we are not omniscient. So we need to allow ourselves that understanding. That does not justify or excuse sin, but it allows us to understand we need him each and every day. Peter did too. All of us do. Jesus reminds them of the big picture and in the midst of all this has an opportunity to say to Peter, keep your focus. Remember the plan and trust me. I need to hear that on a regular basis. The disciples did too. That was the first. The second prediction, we turn the page over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 in verses 30 to 32 we read of the next time that Jesus speaks very plainly about his death, about the cross, beginning there in verse 30. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. 
They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. Now again, what is the, the context of, of what is going on? In, in this time of Jesus with his disciples, they have just come to an area, and they have encountered a demon-possessed individual whom they try to themselves help the disciples, and they are unsuccessful. They are unable to get that job done. And then Jesus steps in and immediately takes care of the situation, brings about a deliverance of this young boy. And then we see a crowd that gathers around and in the midst of the situation, after, in the aftermath, the disciples go, why couldn't we do this? And that is the emphasis and the reminder of the need for prayer. And even in some translations, it talks about prayer and fasting and intense focus in our lives to deal with the spiritual confrontations that we will face. And it says, they left that place, verse 30, and continued to make their way through Galilee. He didn't want to know it. He needed some time with his disciples because this was the opportunity for Jesus to speak again plainly. In verses 30 and 31, he says, the son, for he was teaching his disciples, telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. The important addition we find here is Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be betrayed. Now, what difference does this make? Well, John, in his gospel, gives us a clue as to why Jesus making that comment as he's talking about the cross and the fact that there is a betrayal and really, that's not fair. Let's think about this. There's an emphasis, and there's a reason this AA betrayal is one. There are two betrayals prior to the cross. There's one that's definitively unrepentant. That's Judas. There's another in Peter who is brought to a point of repentance and responds to the goodness of God. Man, I, I, I want to preach that one, but I'm going to leave that aside. Now everybody's going, oh, wow, I need to think about Come back over here with me for a minute. Come back to that one later. Of this betrayer, Judas specifically, Jesus says in John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71, Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the 12, because this is well before we get to Passion Week. Because he was going to betray him. What does that do for us? It lets us know, while we are not all-knowing, we are definitely not all-powerful, he is. I like that simple statement. Love that song that we sing now, asking that question, and the answer is, he is. Oh, when I face challenges, when I face the fact that I don't understand and I look at God's plan, I read God's word and I look to what is going and then I look around at the world around me and I kind of go, Ugh. who's in control? He is. 
our great and wonderful and mighty God is in control. But the disciples hearing this may have gone, and they kind of did go, huh, for the moment. And in verse 32, we see their response. They did not understand this statement, yet they were afraid to ask him. Now, why? There could be a number of reasons why. One very well could be there's a memory of Peter's misstep, his failure, the first time Jesus was talking about this. And they said, hey, if Peter can't get it and Jesus would rebuke him, I'm not going to touch it. I don't get it, but I'm stepping back. We don't know that for sure, but that likely that level of fear is a sinful, it's a selfish response, but it's an understandable response. We've all been there. Jesus, you want me to do what? And there's that fear. There's that level of, can I trust you? <laughs> and we, we ask that question, even knowing what we have seen heard what we have read and yet isn't it the beautiful picture in the midst of all of this Jesus definitely knows he knew what was going on with Peter he knows what's going on in their hearts and minds right now as he's talking with him and Jesus doesn't say you know what I'm done with y'all it was nice but I am just so over you have a nice day I'm, I'm through what does Jesus do he continues to walk with them. Jesus has told his people, which includes you and me, I will never leave you. He said that in the Great Commission. Behold, I am with you always to the end of this time, to the end of this age. What a beautiful picture that is. Prediction number three. I mean, if Jesus says something once, that's pretty significant. That settles it. Jesus said it, that settles it, bottom line. Doesn't matter if you and I believe it or not. Remember the old bumper sticker? That's one of my pet peeves that just drives me nuts. Jesus said it, I believe it, that settles it. Pfft, let's rearrange that. Jesus said it, that settles it, I believe it. Impacts my life, changes my life. But we see this. He not only says to them plainly once, here is what is going to happen. Here is what is going to happen. Then we come to Luke chapter 18. Where we have a third prediction of his death, beginning in verse 31. Then he took the twelve aside and told them, see... We are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit upon. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. They understood none of these things. The meaning of the saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. What did Jesus say? Plainly, here is what's going to happen. There's a few added details. Luke was a pretty detailed guy, believing him to be a physician of his day. He got into a lot more details than some of the others did about aspects of the cross or the prayer in the garden. All of these other components of that night 
that Thursday night leading into Friday, leading into the cross, going into the tomb, and the resurrection on Sunday. Here's what Jesus said that's new in Luke's approach. Everything written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. It's not just, hey, it's necessary. Why? Because of sin. In the midst of what is going to happen, there's going to be a betrayal. God is in charge of the entire plan, even if we think it looks like he may not be. And then when we come down to this report, the third time Jesus talks about the cross and the resurrection, we're reminded that it is because everything written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. And so you're right, this is my favorite moment to remind us once again of just how wonderful the Old Testament is. Why? Because Paul would say to Timothy, you've known since you were a child the scriptures that you heard from your mom and your grandma that are able to make you wise to understand your need for salvation. In Paul's day, what they knew as scripture was the Old Testament. And it is because of that very truth that as Paul is writing, as we've talked about in the idea of evangelism, the essence of the gospel, and the importance for us to be reminded of that good news personally so that as we go out into a world that needs to hear it, to have our light shine, we are encouraged and well-equipped to broadcast, to proclaim the cross and the resurrection He's talking to a group of Christians in Corinth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I passed on to you as most important, attention, most important, what I also received, not my idea, God's. Why? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So we are reminded that in everything, it is absolutely good news, the cross. It is an important reminder for us to understand this is God's plan. This is the goodness and the greatness of God displayed. What was the disciples' response in this case? They understood none of these things. Why? This time, this is where we kind of go, hmm, even ourselves today. The meaning of the, dis- the, of the saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. This isn't the only time we read of something that is contrary to the way we would think. Jesus would heal somebody and he would say what? Don't go tell anybody. Why not? Is what we think, isn't it? Why would, God, why would Jesus say, why would he explain this? And in this case, we're told that the reason they didn't get it is because it was hidden from them. And here's one big picture of the good news. All in God's time. I'm not going to be able to justify it or explain it to any of us today. Why? All I know is this. In God's time. He accomplishes his purpose. And you know what? 
He's not obligated to you or to me to clue us in on any of it. God owes me. Ooh, be careful. God is gracious. God is merciful. Oftentimes we ask and we say, God, I don't understand it. And he is right there in that moment. But when those moments we think we're crying out and God seems silent, it is not his time to answer that for us yet. He hasn't left or forsaken us. His promises are true and he never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is good news. And even when we don't understand and either... We are afraid to ask or it just escapes us. We are just like, hey, we're not focused in on the moment. Jesus just said something really plain and powerful and important. What? Sorry, I wasn't listening. We might be that way. We just don't focus in. But all in God's time takes place according to his plan every time. All the time. Or else what we are used to hearing. That God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. Would be meaningless. All the times. When I don't understand. When I don't clue in. Or whenever I look at something and go. I don't get it. Yes God is good. That is all the time. You see before the cross. Jesus didn't hide anything. He spoke plainly. At times he spoke in ways that were intended to draw a conversation further. Behold, you see me. Now you won't see me. Then you're going to see me again. At times he said, I am telling you that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. That he will be betrayed. That he will be mocked. He will be spit upon. He will be handed over to unjust men. He will be crucified. He will die. He will be in the grave. And on the third day, he will rise again. Huh? That's the disciples? That's all of us. I grew up going to church. I went through the motions of making a profession of faith because I brought another friend to VBS. And it was years later, God, hey, you know a lot about me. You've got no relationship with me. And he used an evangelist to get my attention and draw me to himself. And I thank God for that every moment because, bottom line, our Lord is gracious beyond often what we can see or what we can recognize. Now this week, I want to encourage or challenge you. We don't have a series of videos. I don't have an app for you to go through Holy Week this week. We've done that in the past. If you found it again, want to go through this, fine. Here's what I want to challenge or encourage you to do. Take from the triumphal entry, which is this day, Palm Sunday in each of the Gospels and read through them. Here's the big kicker. That is right at about half of the Gospel of John. Really? I hadn't... Yeah. Chapter 12, John, to the end. That's 
everything that's getting ready to happen as of today, Palm Sunday, to the resurrection. And a little bit beyond. Chapter 21. In the rest, in, in, in Matthew, it's chapter 21 to chapter 28. In Mark, it's chapter 11 to chapter 16. In Luke, it's midway or a little bit close to midway through Luke 19 to the end of chapter 24. And just allow these witnesses to encourage you this week. Take a break. This will be a challenge for me too. Take a break from social media or posting all of the, oh, I can't believe they said this or did this. Turn off whatever your favorite 24-hour news input is and pick up the good news of this week. Just read it. If you've got to get back on social media, say, hey, look at what I read today. Y'all need to hear this. Just leave it there for everybody else to go, oh, yeah. And just take that moment as we celebrate the goodness and greatness of our Lord. Hey, maybe this week will be an opportunity in the midst of everything to have a conversation, a gospel conversation someone who may know about Jesus but doesn't have a relationship with him yet. You're listening to the Clay Cullen Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Clay Cullen, please visit us online at www.claybapt.org.